Today's panel is a really special one. It's called Money in the Mission, How Three Entrepreneurs Turned Personal Pain into Multi-Million Dollar Passion Projects. I think passion projects is a bit of an understatement here, but, uh, but it's an incredible panel because it's about how to take your personal challenges and, and pain and turn it into something meaningful, something that adds value to your life and also customers that you serve. And I'm personally inspired by all of their stories. So uh, my name is Dolma Alton. I uh, am an accidental TikTok creator. And, uh, and I'm here with three inspiring founders, Allison Evans, Amy Liu, and Mason Spector, who will be sharing with us today the unexpected ways that they turned their personal pain into professional passion. So to kick things off, first of all, let's just give them a warm round of applause. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. To kick things off, I will hand the mic over to them to share more about themselves and their personal uh, backgrounds. I'm going to start? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Allison Evans, and I am one of the co-founders of Branch Basics. Um, if you're not familiar, we sell a non-toxic uh, cleaning product and all the accessories to go with it. Um, but we really use our products as a vehicle for our much greater mission, which is to help people identify and replace, remove, and then replace toxins from their home. Um, so this all started um, really because of my own health journey. I was uh, in college down the road a few years ago, slash 12 years ago. <laughs> um, and I had a personal health crisis. So I ended up basically dropping out of school, traveling all over the country, trying to figure out why I was having um, chronic pain, loss of motor skills, um, my symptoms most resembled early stage MS. I was on painkillers, muscle relaxers, antidepressants, sleeping pills, steroid injections. I was like a walking pharmacy. Um, and then my Aunt Marilee comes along, who I thought was, you know, a little bit off her rocker growing up. She's my actual aunt. Um, and now she's the co-founder and like my greatest mentor. Um, but she started educating me about toxins in our home and our diet, things we put on our bodies. Um, and honestly, at that point I had nothing to lose. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to try this. So I ended up graduating from UT and moving in with Aunt Marilee in the Hill Country here in Texas. And I lived with her in this super clean home, free of synthetic fragrances and pesticides and toxic cleaners and GMO food. And this was back in 2009. And we were, you know, when juice was not, was only orange juice basically. And she was like, okay, we're going to be actually juicing. So eight weeks of this, and I was symptom-free, um, and that was really the birth of Branch Basics, um, and also ended up leading to the birth of my three daughters, which I was told would never happen because I had severe PCOS, and all of those symptoms were also reversed. So now we are just, um, yeah, very passionate about educating people on clean living. Thank you. Amy. Hi, everyone. My name is Amy Loon. I'm the founder and CEO of Tower 28. We're a makeup and skincare line that we say is designed for sensitive skin and made for all. Um, and my journey similarly came out of my own experience. Um, I've worked in the beauty industry for 20 years now, um, but even longer than that, I've had eczema. So the combination of those two things can be kind of hard. So when you work in the beauty industry, I think oftentimes people think you're going to have great skin and perfect makeup. And I think as somebody who had eczema, which presented itself mostly on its hand, on my hands and also on my face, one thing that was really hard for me 
because I honestly kind of felt like a little bit like an imposter. So I was the one going to sell the latest and greatest moisturizers and skin perfectors to Nordstrom's and Sephora and Neiman's. But meanwhile, I was kind of like, okay, but don't look at my my skin myself. So I guess I liken it a little bit to all of you probably get your haircut once in a while. And if you were to go get your haircut from someone who had really bad hair, you would feel a little bit like, oh, wait, she doesn't know what she's talking about. So um, I think that's kind of how it felt for me. So I when I got pregnant, I started thinking about what goes on my skin goes in my bloodstream, which they say it's 70 percent. And for me, as somebody who had eczema, my skin was really open and broken. And so I really started thinking, well, am I making it worse when I'm putting makeup on my skin? And maybe I'm actually perpetuating the problem. Um, And I wanted nothing more than to honestly just cover it up, right? Because I think that's what happens when you have things on your face. And one thing that I think is really important to understand about um, when as as a woman, as a person, if you have something on your skin that makes you feel uncomfortable or less confident, I think it genuinely does change the way that you walk through the world. Um, And it was really important to me. And so I tried to make the change to clean beauty, actually. But I found that a lot of the clean beauty products that I went to go try were actually even more sensitizing for my skin. A lot of clean beauty replaces fragrance with essential oils, which essential oils are great. There's nothing wrong with them. But there's certain ones that are more sensitizing. And then it's also how much is in it. And depending on your skin type, it can be more sensitizing. So that didn't work for me. I also tried looking at products that were safe for sensitive skin. I would walk into Sephora and say, okay, I'm here. I want products that are for sensitive skin. And they would always bring me to certain brands that I thought just weren't very fun looking and made me feel like I was a, you know, some sort of a patient or I, I belonged in a pharmacy. And so I really wanted to find that intersection of those two things. So products that were not only clean, that safe for sensitive skin. A lot of safe for sensitive skin products, by the way, are also not clean necessarily. Um, And so that's what Tower 28 is today. Our products are clean. They're safe for sensitive skin. We're actually the only beauty brand that is 100% compliant with the National Eczema Association. We're sold at all Sephora's US and Canada, Sephora at Kohl's, Credo, Revolve. Um, And basically that's kind of our bigger mission is really so that we can make products that are really high performance at an accessible price point that people can feel safe using um, and get the high performance that they want out of it too. What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Mason, um, the co-founder of a company called Mad Happy. Uh, if nobody knows what that is, uh, it's a clothing company that we started out of LA about six years ago. Uh, next month, it'll be our six-year anniversary, uh, really around this idea of creating conversation around mental health, uh, mainly through the power of optimism and positivity. Um, a little bit about me and my personal story. Um, have really struggled with mental health issues uh, my whole life, come from a pretty uh, unstable family of origin and like moved around a lot as a kid and really didn't feel smart or capable or, or even the fact that I'm up here speaking to anyone now seems pretty crazy. Um, I ended up dropping out of college after freshman year, really had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, was always a creative kid. Um, and I think just growing up in LA, clothing was sort of just the most accessible outlet at the time. Um, ended up starting a company before Mad Happy, um, had no idea what I was doing, just like hit the streets of downtown LA, uh, kind of learning on the fly with a buddy of mine. Uh, we ended up having like a little bit of success, but ultimately the company failed. Um, and I share this with you guys just because I think that was a really the moment that, that led to me thinking of the name like Mad Happy and us being able to create this 
company. Um, after our first business failed, I was in just like such a bad bout of depression. I had no direction in my life. I was smoking weed every day. I was like, why did I drop out of college? What am I doing? Um, and I remember sitting in the car and I, I sent a text to my friend and I said, yo, I'm mad happy for you. And I just stopped and I was like, oh my God, this was like an aha moment for me of like this word that I had thought of um, really meaning like the essence of life to me in that time. I think it really, I had this realization that struggling and sadness are an inevitable part of life that everyone in this room will face no matter what we do or where we live. And I think that growing up, I was taught to not not accept those times or pretend like they're not happening or they don't exist. And I think in that moment, I was like, wow, let me actually just like be grateful for this depression that I'm in and like really feel this sadness and like understand what that can teach me about myself and the world around me um, and other people and just like what I want to do. Um, and I think that's really what mad happy means is like the essence of life balancing both sides, the ups and the downs are such an inevitable part of life. And I think the more that we can look at that and sort of live that balanced life, um, we can just all be such better people to ourselves and to each other. Um, so that was just the kernel of the idea. Um, I went back to my partner. Um, I told him this thing. I said, you know, let's, let's take another crack at it. Let's have a lot more fun. Uh, this was back in 2017. And I think we completely disrupted like the streetwear landscape at the time. I think streetwear in general, if anyone doesn't know, um, you know, is very sort of like a cool kids club, very exclusive. You walk into the stores, maybe they're not so nice to you. They judge your outfit. They don't make you feel so good. And I think we really wanted to flip that on its head of like, let's build a brand that's so colorful, so inclusive, so positive, uh, that really encourages people to be themselves. Uh, so we started with like a pop-up in LA, um, almost six years ago. I think like retail has been a huge part of our business at the time where a lot of advisors were telling us not to, uh, we've done like 20 pop-ups in the last six years all across the country, which has been incredible. Um, as we've sort of fleshed out our mental health mission, I think we really try and position our brand like at the intersection of culture and impact. Uh, we've, we've been able to do some really incredible collaborations. I think that really help spread the mission, um, with the likes of, you know, Lakers and Dodgers, which was so uh, cool to me to working with IP companies like HBO, Pixar, Toy Story, things like that, all the way to like local establishments in LA, like John and Vinny's or, or Apple Pan that like activate on a more local level. Um, so yeah, we're six years in, but really feel like we're just getting started. I feel super lucky to be able to like talk about my struggles and like my experiences and like how that's really helped me to build the company and, and inspire a bunch of people super passionate about mental health, men's mental health specifically. I think it's like interesting that like I'm the only male up here. Obviously it's a lot harder for guys to talk about that. And like, I'm super aware of that as well. So it's a huge passion of mine and yeah, super grateful to be here and uh, let's do it. <laughs> I love that you share that moment when you were in the car and texting your friend. That's actually the question I wanted to follow up with for each of you is take us back to that moment when you first decided that you were going to go for it. You might have had the idea percolating or maybe you had that aha moment. So take us back to exactly what you were doing and what it was like to make that decision to start your businesses. Whoever wants to start. I can start. Um, so my path to starting was a little bit different. I've wanted to do this for a really long time. So I didn't start right out of college. I went to business school. I did a concentration in entrepreneurship. I was the co-president of the Entrepreneurship Venture Management Association. I told everybody I was going to be an entrepreneur. 
Um, and basically I didn't do it, right? Like I went to go work for other people because I told myself I was learning on someone else's dime, which I think I was in the end. Um, and it was really an important part, I think, of my own path and my own journey, which I think all of us have our own. I don't think there's no, there's not a right time to do it. For me, I worked in the, I've worked in the industry for 20 years now. I was 15 years in when I started doing this. And frankly, I probably wouldn't have taken the jump unless I had gotten an opportunity. So my co-president of the EVMA, he graduated from business school and started a company. I went to go work for other people and we had always kind of stayed in touch. And I was I, having coffee with him one day and I was looking for a new opportunity. And I told him, you know, I want upside. I want this. I want that. And he was like, how old are you? You're 39 years old. If you don't do this now, you've been saying you've wanted to do this for such a long time. If shit or get off the pot, like you're either you're going to do it or you're not, you're getting too old. And I was like, first I was like, wow, that's really mean. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, well, easy for you to say, I don't have any money and I don't have a partner. And those are the two things I feel like I need. And he said, well, if you have money, you don't need a partner because you can hire people. And I was like, well, I still don't have money because we, that's my husband. We had just bought a house. We have three kids. Life in LA is expensive. Um, and he said, well, and I didn't know, but he had sold his company. Um, and he said, well, what if I gave you half of whatever you need? And I was like, what, what's he talking about? How much do you need? And I said, well, I think I just wrote a business plan for another entrepreneur. And I was like, okay, well, according to the business plan we just wrote, I need 250,000. And he's like, okay, well, if you think you need 250, it's like building a house, you need twice as much. So if you can raise the other 250 in 30 days, I will give you the other two, like the, the first money in the 250. So he gave me terms and he gave me 30 days to do it. And he said, if you can't raise the money, that means you either don't have a good idea or you don't have, and by the way, I did not have a good idea at that time. Um, so he was like, either you don't have enough, a good idea, or you don't have people who believe in you. And those are important things that are beyond money. And I was like, uh, oh, okay. And then honestly, it was like being given this like crazy opportunity. What am I going to do with it? And so frankly, I don't think I would have taken the leap. The idea was something that I had thought about for a long time. And in truth, I actually started with a different concept, which was not really about me. Um, it was really more about like, I wanted to make, um, still, it was always about safe for sensitive skin. And, but that wasn't the highlight. That was just something, the way I was going to create the product and my own product philosophy. But the highlight about it was going to be more for younger. It, my, I have daughters. And so I saw my daughters using my products and I was like, I, I wish I could make products for them. Something that was like clean and I'd be comfortable with them using. And that was the original idea. And honestly, we didn't see success until I kind of tweaked the concept to involve myself. And I think that's one thing that's really interesting here is until it became really genuinely more authentic to my own story, I don't think it was resonant. Um, but yeah, that is how we got our start. That is powerful. Thank you. I'll go. I love that. I My story is like pretty much the opposite of that yeah. because <laughs> I waited. <laughs> I waited so a long fun. time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you took the pause. Um, I had absolutely no business experience, graduated from UT, like I said. Um, and wanted to work for somebody. I thought, I'm just going to major in PR. I'm going to go work for a PR company. Um, I grew up in Houston. I already had some people that I had kind of lined myself up with, with interns and internships. And then um, I got sick. Um, so then when I went to live with my Aunt Marilee, and I really saw that summer with her as just, hey, 
I'm in too much pain to take a desk job. I might as well go live with Marilee and learn how to use food as medicine. She had run a macrobiotic resort in Jamaica years prior. She had saved herself from a pending kidney transplant using food as medicine. She had this amazing story, worked with clients all over the country and building um, safe homes. She's a, a building biologist, and so she consults on healthy materials. I thought, this is going to be a great post-college soaking up Marilee's brain. Um, sorry, I have a little bit of a cold, but um, I let that summer, my symptoms completely lifted. Like I said, um, was just a new person. I was able to sit for long periods. I didn't have pain. I was off all my prescription medication. And so my best friend who had also accompanied me and is our third, we have, there's three founders. Um, we were like, we need Marilee's brain on the internet. This is 2009. And we essentially started Branch Basics um, <laughs> saying, we have to do this because we want to make sure people don't one day say, why didn't someone tell me this information? We were so passionate. We had no money. We had no business sense. We have made so many mistakes. I could have gone to business school probably three times with the amount of money we have spent on mistakes, hiring and partnering mistakes. Um, so it's, I think it was really that. It was me experiencing the shift in my health. And uh, when we first started the company, it was called Three Branches Healthy Living. And we were selling everything from infrared saunas to organic mattresses, um, EMF phone protectors. Guys, 2009, our sorority sisters were like, y'all are insane. What are you doing? Um, and it's so funny because now they're all like having kids and they're like, okay, so wait, yeah, what's that stuff you were talking about when you graduated from college? We're like, yeah, I told you you'd be back to us. Um, but yeah, so really it was, it really is a company built out of passion and all the mistakes we've made, we've shut down the company for you know, 18 months because of bad partnering decisions back in 2016. And the reason we were able to continue on was because of that, of that passion. So yeah, that was kind of the moment, just the personal experience. I love that note that you just ended on. Um, the reason you were able to keep going is because of your passion, because yeah. you made so many mistakes and that's a normal part of the journey. Yeah. I think a lot of people in the audience who might want to start their own businesses. I certainly meet a lot of founders who want to start their own businesses. A lot of them are held back by that fear, right? That trepidation. Mm, yeah. They're kind of at the at the edge and they don't want to take the leap and they want a guarantee that it's all going to work out and be successful or they're afraid of failing or looking stupid or whatever it is, right? So were you guys afraid when you actually pulled that trigger? Were you afraid and how did you deal with it? I think for me, like something I've learned across all walks of life um, regardless of just business is that like, I'll never feel a hundred percent certain in anything I do that like, there'll will, will always be fear. And I think pretending like you're not scared, like, isn't the right way either. And I think like, whether it's a relationship or I'm having anxiety about a conversation that I need to have with somebody or something like that, it's like, there always has to be some leap of faith involved. I think for like, uh, my first company that I started was just taking myself way too seriously and like wanting to I had to work with the nicest materials and the and the most expensive vendors. And I had to be so legitimate in the space to make any sort of noise. And with Mad Happy, I just realized like none of that shit matters. And like what I was thinking in the beginning was just like, let's not take ourselves too seriously. Let's have fun. Like let's maintain our integrity of just like who we are and what we want to do and then just keep working. And like that will get better and better and better. But like I didn't want to wait to to launch the brand or or to come out with something until I felt like it was the perfect time because there's never going to be a perfect time. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been dating a girl for three years. We're talking about moving in together, right? There's obviously things that it doesn't feel right, or I don't know about this or that. And it's just like, you just, 
have to do what you know you want to do and just accept that you will never feel 100% because I think it, at least for me, like I'm so good at justifying and, and rationalizing my decisions to myself of, well, you know, next month is probably better or I have to wait until after that big thing or like whatever. And then before you know it, you're 39 and you haven't started your uh, business yet. Um, so I feel like it, it's, you just have to accept the fear and like understand that it's not going away and embrace it and then just, you know, take the leap. I totally agree. I also think fear is healthy, right? And I think you also have to understand your own psychology and where your fear comes from and who you are coming into this. I think I'm friends with a lot of founders now and I don't, I, to your point, I really don't think there's a right way. And by the way, we dated for eight years before we got married in case you have any. <laughs> and he always says to me, actually, right, that he, he wishes we did it earlier because I was nicer after that. Um, but that's aside. <laughs> different panel. Different that's, a di different, di that's a different panel. Um, but I think like one of the things I actually had a lot of fear around is growing up. I, um, you know, my parents immigrated from Taiwan to America and I grew up in a household where we did not, it was very beaten into my brain that like you don't owe people money. You don't have credit card debt. That is just not the way that you live. We, you only spend as much as you have. You live frugally. And so the idea of even raising money, it was really foreign to me. And then once I had the money, so I, I did raise the 500,000. Um, and once I had the money, I actually had a really hard time spending it because I was so afraid of losing it. And my money was not institutional money. It was all friends and family and people I went to dinner with and vacationed with. And so it felt really heavy to me. Um, and instead of, and it's like one of those glass half full, half empty, like, I think I was able to change my perspective on it when I had a female, I was part of this like female founder support group and the coach said to me, she's like, listen, no one is going to pat you on the back if three years from now you're looking at them and you're like, listen, guys, I didn't lose your money. Like you need to go try and go spend it. And I think trying to make that shift in my perspective and thinking like, okay, that's true, but also I'm actually quite motivated by the fact that when I when things are going well and we are making money, that it's not some nameless institution, but it is my best friend. It is people I go to dinner with. Um, that's actually been been really great for me. So I think like to find a way to get around the fear is really just like figuring out who you are and what you come into it with. Like I know people who are able to do this like on a credit card out of their garage and they're able to make it and good for them. They own 100 percent of their business not my story, but also couldn't have done that. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I, um, I do think that that perfection is the enemy of progress. And we, when we first started the company, it was all about just making sure that everything was perfect and buttoned up. And we are more, we see ourselves more as a uh, lifestyle brand and content creator than we do an actual product company at this point. And so it would even be this kind of fear of, are we saying everything right? Have we edited this, edited this perfectly? Is this graphic exactly right? Um, and I think that, you know, and I'm winking here at Carly, our head of marketing right here. And she's like, yep. Mm -hmm. It's been one of our biggest issues in moving forward is just wanting to make sure everything is exactly buttoned up. We're about to launch an online course. And my gosh, if it were just up to my co-founder myself, we'll probably would never launch it because we're like, oh, this, this, this. And so it's really nice to have people to keep you in check to be like, look, if this is a success, we'll do round two, we'll do more, you know? Um, so I think that's a really big thing. And then what you just brought up uh, reminded me 
of the fact that, yeah, like we don't own all of our company. One of my best friends owns a company that's about our size in skincare and she owns 100% of her company. Like, that's amazing that you did that. You started from a dollar bill, from nothing. That was not our story. And had we not been open to bringing on investors and that was a friends and family round in the beginning, which does put extra pressure on you, but we wouldn't be as big as we are. And you'd rather have a smaller piece of a bigger pie. And so I think it's just being able to kind of put the pride aside, put the perfection aside and just do something and go forward and take that step. And I think an interesting lesson from your story and your story, Mason, is that you guys had entrepreneurial. I mean, in your case, you had sort of phase one of your company and then you closed things down and then kind of relaunched. And then in your case, Mason, you had a prior business. And I think the takeaway here is you don't have to have it all figured out. And it's impossible to have it all figured out in the beginning. And people want to know the answers. It's so tempting to want a lot of clarity before you take the leap, but you're actually going to find it through doing and through trial and error. So I think. Well, and even after working in the same industry for such a long time, I think one thing that actually shocked me was how much I didn't know. Because I thought that I had worked so closely and in small brands where I wore a lot of different hats. And I was like, oh, wait, it is really different. I to be next to the product developer than to be the product developer is really different. So I don't know that you ever know. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely like can relate to that. I think I've like struggled with like imposter syndrome a ton, just like not having graduated college or like, you know, I've never had a resume or a job interview or like anything like like all these things in my head that I think are like important that like I have to do. And I think it's been like really humbling for me to realize that like, no one knows what they're doing. And I think that's part of like the beauty and entrepreneurship and just business in general is like everyone is always trying to figure it out every single day. And like you have massive corporations looking at small startups of, oh my God, what are they doing? How can we be more like them? And then you have like, we're a business like of our size looking at other uh, massive brands like, no, like we got to get legit like these guys. And it's just like, you know, like the grass is always greener Uh and like no one truly knows. And I think that's what makes like the journey so special. Even just before coming on stage, I mean, we have never gone into retail. We haven't taken on institutional investors. You guys have. And so in my head, like the enemy is like playing in my head and I'm like, gosh, I don't really know about their space. Like, I don't know. But I mean, our companies are all around the same size and we all have done things differently. And it's just like that comparison is can be paralyzing and moving forward for sure. So and the interesting thing, I think that I've learned after you know, looking into all these different businesses. And that's what I do as a creator. And I've talked to and interviewed so many founders. There's no one way to do anything. If you just have the grit and determination, you're going to figure out some way based on your circumstances, your unique temperament. You're going to figure out a way. And there's not, I think it's also tempting, you know, in the name of clarity to want to find that one silver bullet or that one playbook. There's no one playbook. Plus whatever playbook worked last week, is, I was going to say, with social media, we're like all living in the Wild West. Yeah, we yeah. have no idea what's exactly. happening. Like, None of us. <laughs> TikTok, chat, GPT, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> what's cool tomorrow? <laughs> I know, exactly. So so I think a lot of this points to something interesting. I mean, all of these businesses are, businesses are based on your personal stories, and you're up here on stage sharing those stories, and that requires some vulnerability. How have you navigated the journey of and the ups and downs of being in some ways, the faces of your brands and having to be that person who, you know, represents your company and its ethos? Ooh. Um, it's hard. I mean, for like my own personal story, like I, I hit my rock bottom in the summer of 2019. 
and got sober from drugs and alcohol uh, when our business was two years old. And I like was totally feeling like a fraud because I was this guy who was like preaching this mental health mission and, and taking care of yourself and going to therapy and all these things. And I wasn't living that life at all. And it eventually caught up to me. And I think I can really relate to what you were saying about struggling with the eczema when you were selling these products. And, and I think it was just deeply rooted, like insecurities in myself. And I totally just had to flip it on its head of actually like owning it and like living that life and like preaching it. So we ended up like starting a podcast two years ago uh, called the Mad Happy Podcast, uh, where we interview a, a bunch of amazing people and like really share our mental health stories. Um, I, I host the show with uh, my partner and CEO of Payman, but I think that really just like jumping into it has been the most like incredible thing. And I think hearing from members of our community um, who can relate to it and, and who kind of it inspires them to open up about their own experiences. And I think it's been so amazing to just understand how much we as human beings have in common. You know, I think a lot for me as a kid, I, I like felt so misunderstood and I was just like my story versus your story. And like, no one can understand me. No one can relate. And even when I went to treatment, it was like so hard for me to fit in the first two weeks because I was just like, oh, her story is so much more traumatic than mine or all these things. And I had this realization that like, you know, as human beings, we can really only feel the same five or six emotions and like whatever, just the data of the story of what happened is on the surface, but how we're actually feeling beneath is exactly the same. And I think it's like through that experience that I've really been able to uh, share my own story, uh, connect with people all over the world and like really remind people that like mental health is something that we all deal with in the same way as physical health. And like what we try and focus on so much is just like the spectrum of mental health is like so wide. You know, I think growing up, we think that it's just like, like a loony bin or a straitjacket or like a shrink's office, right? And like, that's not what mental health is. That's a part of it. And mental health is also joy and love and excitement. And all of those things are just as equally mental health. Um, so that's really how we try and speak about it and, and how I've sort of uh, come to terms with like being okay with who I am. I love, I love that you took that opportunity where I think some founders might have felt pressure to hide even more behind this facade, right? And be like, no, I, this is how I exemplify the brand's mission and story. But then behind closed doors, they continue to feel like an imposter. But you took that as an opportunity to be even more real and to like make a shift. I think that's really powerful because it's not just the pain before starting the company that can fuel the company, right? It's at yeah, any point. And, and I think like the biggest thing that I always tell young entrepreneurs is like asking for help. And just understanding how okay and necessary it is to ask for help, whether it's in your personal life or business. And like, if it weren't for my partners and like me telling them that I needed to go get help and like being vulnerable and asking for it in that way, um, none of it would be possible. So I feel like, you know, we, we have such a mentality of we have to be tough and figure it out and do it on our own. And like, no, like stay up a few more hours and try and figure it out before you make that phone call. And it's like, no one can do anything by themselves, regardless of what you're doing in the world. And like, asking for help is like one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. It's really powerful. Amy, what about you? What has been your journey navigating, you know, being the face, not being the face, how to balance that tension? Yeah. So uh, I am not that face forward on a consumer level, meaning um, at least for a beauty brand, right? So if you go to Tower 28 Beauty and tap follow, which I hope you do, um, Instagram and TikTok, uh, you won't really see my face all over it very much. Um, but I am pretty founder forward in a business way. And I think the reason that is, is because I have had the benefit of seeing 
other brands. So I've worked for a few other eponymous brands um, like Josie Marin and Kate Somerville. And I think watching their journeys and how face forward they were, like Josie is on QVC very regularly to the point that she's moved her whole family to Philadelphia at one point. And that became her life because she was so tied to QVC. And so I think I consciously was like, that is not the way that I want to spend my time and live my life. And I'm not good at creating content, by the way. I actually enjoy doing podcasts. I enjoy doing panels. I enjoy people. And I think my story is an important part of it. But it's not the part that I feel like I'm very good at necessarily. So I think I try to balance those things um, and figure out what's right for me. I think we're living in a time where brand founders are so interesting to people. Like people really want to shop with their wallets. And I think they want to make sure that they understand what the values of the company are and who it is that that's actually behind the brand. And I think that's wonderful, but it also comes with a lot of scrutiny. And I think, like I said in the very beginning, like one thing I was really self-conscious of, frankly, was like, I don't know, like what I looked like. And so for me, creating content is not super fun. So it's not the thing that I want to do. Um, and I try to be conscious of of how I spend my time. And so one thing I would say to you, because I know a lot of founders who say to me like, oh, I wish I was more like you and I didn't spend all my time making content because I have to do it every single day. And I'm like, well, then don't. I don't know, like figure it out, How figure out another way to tell your story um, and other people. So if you do look at our content, you'll see a lot of people on my team, actually, as opposed to just me. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I think that so one of the main reasons that we haven't gone into retail is because we want to have that direct relationship with our customer. And so um, our newsletters, our articles, the podcasts we do, um, we can go through you know, multiple of those and never actually speak to our actual products. And that's how we like it. And ironically, the more we talk about the greater mission of health and wellness and helping people identify toxins in their home that could be potentially keeping them from overcoming their allergies, their asthma, behavioral disorders, wherever it may be, the more product we sell. The more we try to talk about stains and the latest and greatest thing we're doing, you know, I mean, granted, we do that. Absolutely. We our product works and we do get out some mad stains. Um, but we're not going to, we're not going to see the uptick in sales. Um, and really, I think that if our company was more focused on the product, I don't know how in it my heart would be because that's just not where I came from. I didn't come from that entrepreneur background. I came from someone that's sick, they got well. Um, and so, we really prioritize our customers. I mean, we get hundreds of direct messages a day over Instagram and we answer every single one. And a lot of them are about a health question or a healing testimonial or should I use this product or how to vet this product that has nothing to do with our own. Um, and so that's really how we've connected. I, I struggle with chronic Lyme disease. So I can't, you know, I'm not going to just sit there and say, oh my gosh, I eat clean. I use clean products. I do this. I feel great. I mean, I have been open with my audience over the past 10 days how I'm dealing with insomnia right now, which is, I think, probably linked to a Lyme flare. Um, and I think the more raw and real that I can be, the more relatable we can be. Um, yeah, that's that's just what's worked for us. And it's what keeps me, I was telling them beforehand, sometimes I hate social and I like, I post and ghost. I can't, post and sit there and watch all the DMs come in and fret about what someone thought about this or that, because then I just won't post. And um, so I think as a founder, I've had to have boundaries about how much I can handle being 
because we really had become more of a mix of like influencer and brand, my co-founder and myself. And if you're going to do that, you have to have boundaries around that, which I think is so important. So I get asked about that all the time, especially by a lot of female founders, but just founders in general who are like, okay, well, now I feel like I started a brand because I wanted to share these products, but now I have to be an influencer. And those are both two separate full-time jobs, by the way. I can say that as somebody who just does the influencing part of things. So it's a lot of work. And it's, you know, being also constantly online and exposing yourself can lead to different mental health challenges too, because you're having thousands of strangers give you their feedback about, you know, how stupid they think your one sort of video was or whatever. So that can be tough. Um, To your point about boundaries, how do each of you as, you know, the respective faces of your brands in different capacities, how do each of you set boundaries as far as, you know, how, when you want to show up, how you want to show up, um, what you want to protect yourself from as founders who are a little bit more front facing? Um, I mean, I can start really quick. I think it's an extension of what I just said and that um, when we were answering the DMs and I would basically put something out there and then watch potentially hundreds of people respond to what I was saying, it was not good for me mentally. And I don't think I realized um, it was almost an addiction too because you you couldn't like stop looking at the messages and looking at the feedback. And so what our customer service team, who's amazing, but we basically said to them, look, if we get feedback that's negative and there's nothing that we really need to do with it or if it's not validated, don't show us. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to, you know, let's just deal with it. Um, if it's something that you think that we could improve on or it's constructive, then sure, like we can, we can talk about it. But, um, my co-founder, I can speak for her as well. I mean, we've gone through seasons where we have had to step back and take that break. Um, and something that she has struggled with a little more than me, but she's, she's just super, uh, literal and authentic and likes to just give all the details. And she's like, I've learned that people just don't need to know everything. They need to know exactly what I want them to know. And when I can figure out those boundaries, even just before posting, like pausing and thinking like, what am I actually trying to get across here? I don't have to tell people how bad my day has been or how this or that. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's relatable. Sometimes it needs to be said, but it's it shouldn't be said because they want to hear it. It should be said because we feel comfortable with them knowing it. Um, and I think it's it's really that pause. I think it's that pause and that intention before just like going out, you know? So I think social media is like the wild, wild west. Totally. <laughs> I yeah. mean, like you, it has democratized things in a wonderful way, but it also is, it's given everybody a platform. And so part of it, to your point about boundaries, I think it's just sort of taking a step back and knowing when to listen versus when to hold and just not say anything. Like we had somebody on TikTok recently who posted a piece of content that said, Tower 28 has formaldehyde in its products and they're pointing at the green screen and they're pointing at like on the Sephora website, you can go to ingredients and then you can, they have another tab that says what's not in it for clean. And it's like, it's like SLS and sulfur without all these things. And they're pointing at the wrong tab and they're saying they have formaldehyde in their products. See, it says so on the site. And I looked at this and I was like, is this, does this even dignify a response at that point? (laughs) Like the, and ideally, you're, if you're doing a good job, which I, I hope we are in terms of talking about why your products are different in the philosophy, I dug into the comments and the 
people were saying how dumb this person was, right? Like, I didn't even need to come to my own defense. I love it when they, when people, your yeah, own people you start guys. answering questions for you. I'm like, you just let them just hash it out. You guys fight over it. But I think the thing that is very human nature is if you get like 99 positive reviews and one really scathing one, it is really terrible that this is the way human nature works. But I will sit there and I will read that negative review and then I'll close the app and then I'll open it up again and I'll read that negative review again and give it some of my mind space. So I think knowing that and how harmful it is, I've just tried to, first of all, not do that as much. And and one thing actually we talk about a lot is I think looking at trying to look at the world with kinder eyes and thinking, oh, I bet the person who wrote that, maybe they were just having a really bad day. <laughs> or like they were just, you know, whatever it is. Because I think generally speaking, people are not terrible people. But we, a lot of people hide behind social media and it's really not about us and it's not about you and just try not to take things personally. Yeah. yeah I love how you just uh, spoke about empathy there. I think that's something that we think about a lot. Um two things that came to my mind one in, in Kendrick Lamar's last album he has a song over the chorus over and over again is you can't please everybody and I think that's something that I think about a lot and I think boundaries are so important in life and in business and there's a story about the Dalai Lama that I love that I always think about that he meditates for two hours every single day no matter what and on days where he's so busy and his schedule is so tight and he has no time he meditates for four hours and I think that's something that I really try and keep in mind in terms of a work-life balance and in terms of how we really set boundaries um, for ourselves. You know, I think in the beginning as like an entrepreneur, you, we could work 24-7, 365 if we want to, right? There's always something to do. But I think it's really like knowing that your life can't be just about that and like taking some time away or whether it's a phone break on the weekends or even just one day a week or whatever it is, like that will give you the space that you need to be able to think about your business in a clearer way and come to more realizations of like, I think even me and my partners now are talking about so much, like we're, we're so deep in the trees that we really can't see the forest and like really taking this time to get out of the office, have a day where you have no meeting scheduled and your time is just wide open. And the things that you can realize and the conversations that you have where it's just open-ended and you're not sort of like your, your notifications are popping up for your next meeting is like such amazing things uh, can come from that. So I, I love the question about boundaries and I feel like it's really, really vital. Yeah, that's powerful. And and I think, you know, for the companies to succeed long term, it has to be sustainable for the people who are at the center of it, right? Like yeah. it's not going to work if people burn out and can't go on. So uh, I want to end with one more question and then we'll start to take questions from the audience. Um, we've touched on this a little bit and Mason, I loved your insight about the importance of asking for help. I think that's something that also founders struggle with because they feel like they need to be the ones who are the rock for everybody else and they need to have all the answers and they shouldn't need help. But um, but besides asking for help, what are some ways that each of you deal with some of the ups and downs, the tumultuous journey that is entrepreneurship? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm in tech and a lot of I don't know if anyone's seen the Silicon Valley Bank news, but that is... We bank with Silicon Valley okay. Bank. <laughs> that, I have definitely seen the news. So that, that's an oh shit moment, right? That's like, a, okay, like, you know, ring the alarm kind of moment. Um, so how, how do you deal with moments like that? Besides, you know, actually tending to the problem, are there things, toolkits that you guys have built for yourselves 
respectively to navigate these I, I can start that only yes, because please. I recently, <laughs> if anyone's been following the Silicon Valley Bank. The second biggest bank failure in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Which started for us, the story started with receiving a text from a friend that said, I believe you bank with Silicon Valley Bank. There's a run on the bank. Get your money out. And I, I, it was very alarming, as you can imagine. So that was like on, on Thursday. Or that was on like, Thursday, yeah. right before we actually flew out to come here. Um, so how do we deal with it? We actually, so I love this. Um, do you guys, I don't know if anyone's a parent, but there's a Dr. Becky is an influencer on, she's an influencer psychologist, I would call her. Um, on Instagram. And I think she's fantastic. She's amazing. She's amazing. And she has this um, metaphor that she uses that I think is really valuable. So she talks about how if you are on an airplane and you're experiencing turbulence and you have your choice of three different pilots that could show up, and one of them is the one that comes out and says, turbulence? I don't feel any turbulence. What are you talking about? There's no turbulence. And then there's a second one who comes out and says, oh shit, there's turbulence. That's not fun either. But the third one who comes out and says, guys, we're experiencing a little bit of turbulence, but this is nothing I haven't seen before and we're going to figure it out and we're going to get through it. That's the pilot that you want. And that's what we tried to do. So in that experience, right, like, by the way, I haven't seen this before, so that's kind of a lie, but we you just try to figure out, okay, well, what is the situation? How do I get out of it? And how what does my team need to know? Because they're hearing things like some of them know where we bank and I was afraid they were all going to talk to each other and be panicked that they wouldn't get paid or something would happen. So I think you just try to be honest about the situation. You tell them what you're doing. You're transparent. You have empathy. And I think in that situation, empathy is like, okay, well, what are they going to be worried about? Their first order is going to be worried about themselves. What if they can't make their mortgages? What if they can't make their rent? Right? So how, what about our vendors? What about the people who pay us even? Like, how do we navigate all of these things? Um, but I think it starts with transparency and I think it starts with empathy. Yeah, I think... Uh, and getting another corporate bank account. Yeah. Line of credit. The word, that, because we have a line. the word that comes to mind for me, I think, is vulnerability. Um, and really seeing that as a sign of courage and a sign of strength and not a sign of weakness. Um like Amy, I think even for you to say, I, I bank with SVB, like, oh shit, that's, that's embarrassing. What's happening? Like all these things, like you're saying how you're worried that uh, people were going to talk and stuff. It's like being vulnerable in that way to, to say that there's turbulence going on. And I think obviously there's so much in our life that's out of our control and like being able to really, really accept what's out of our control and like not stressing or losing sleep over that, what other people say, how we're perceived, all these sorts of things. Um, and to just let that go. And it's such a, like a, like it's such a weight off your back to really just like surrender to that and let it go. And I think really leading with empathy and vulnerability is is, is how we like sort of train our employees in-house and, and how we talk to our consumer and all of those things. I feel like human beings have such a weird tendency of like we try and hide the truth because we think it'll like not hurt people's feelings or like be better. And like it ends up literally having the exact opposite effect in like every facet of life. I think it's so silly. Um, but yeah, those are just the few things that came to mind for me. Yeah. Um, we, we went through a very challenging season in 2015 when we discovered that 
uh, we were doing third-party labeling. We'd worked with this particular supplier, manufacturer for many, many years. My aunt had worked with her, gosh, for basically two decades. And her formula was clean as a whistle. I mean, the most sensitive people that my aunt has ever worked with, she works with people with multiple chemical sensitivities, including her son, um, who was basically deemed a bubble boy after being exposed to chlordane when he was 10 years old. And he couldn't be around any chemicals, but he could be around this one particular soap. Um, well, we ended up discovering that there were ingredients in that formula that were not listed on the label. And we had third-party testing to prove that everything was completely safe, um, that the in-product testing was, you know, past all the standards. So we could have simply switched out some ingredients, not told people, kind of just continued on. And we didn't. We felt very convicted that we needed to pull product, shut down, kind of do like a, you know, clean slate reset. Um, It was awful, to be honest. It was really awful. Um, We didn't know if we would ever come back from it. And we had to let people go. I mean, it was it was a really tough season. But Looking back, the honesty and the transparency that we had, I believe, is like the Branch Basics OGs, like they know what we went through. And I think that that built a faith and a trust in our company that we could have never gotten had we not been through that challenge. And um, and we can look at challenges and when we're in them. It's so hard to see this, but that saying really is true. Like if it doesn't actually kill us, like it's going to make us better. It's going to make us stronger. Well, we now own our formula from start to finish. We know every single ingredient. We have all of our raw materials. We, you know, have broken any relationship with third-party uh, labeling. And um, yeah, it was all really because we we were honest, we persevered, and we allowed the refining to actually happen to us. And it was embarrassing. Those phone calls to all the friends and family were awful. <laughs> and one thing I did learn, I wanted to say this earlier, um, especially with friends and family investors, like if that's something that, you know, you're thinking about starting something or you have friends and family coming coming around you, they're not or they shouldn't as investors, a savvy investor should not give money unless they can lose it. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. And I needed to be told that when all my parents, when I called all of my parents' best friends and told them that our company was shutting down and I'm so sorry that you gave us money. Um, and I remember my dad saying that. And he's like, look, if they gave you money and they couldn't have lost it, that's kind of on them. Like it's it's hard and you did the best you could, but you're being honest and you're doing the right thing. I think this is such a powerful theme to end on, which is it sounds like the through line between these different stories is honesty and transparency and vulnerability. And that is a sign of strength. And that can actually be better than trying to hide or sort of avoid the truth, avoid the truth, confronting the truth yourself or with your team. So um, so I think that's just really beautiful. And before we go into Q&A, can we just give another warm round of applause to our wonderful panelists? Thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. So if anybody has a question, there's a mic right there. I'll leave a question. Yeah, we'll just, yeah. <laughs> Growing. Need advice for you. I can take that. Um, I'm sure there's so many different angles I could go here, but just like my gut reaction is just hire as well as possible because <laughs> most companies fail because of a people problem. And um, yeah, we've, we would meet somebody, we would think it was a good fit. We didn't do the due diligence and the research and we just kind of went on that 
kind of, oh, if someone knows them or they had one good, you know, and then it wouldn't work out. And right now, the one thing I can say in true confidence is that we have a team of people that are freaking awesome. We trust them all. We, they've been vetted. We, we have all done checks and balances in terms of like info gathering and pausing before acting, even if it means like there's this gap in, in a need, it's better to wait. Um, but I would say hiring. Yeah. yeah I think also like firing fast also yeah. it's like we've yeah. we've had people who you know in the first 30 days whether they're a good fit or not and you know us being younger and oh we want to do the right thing or wait a few months or like feel it out it's like you have to trust your gut and know and I think for us in the last year as we've been really focused on growth is like bringing in senior leaders who have done it before having people in the room who've done it before and being able to like take a step back and really pass them the ball which I think is super tough as a founder I think I've learned that like I'm doing less and more at the same time. It's like kind of weird. Um, but yeah, people yeah. is is the way totally. to go. For sure. And even expanding on both of those things, I think it's recognizing that as you grow, the company changes and turns constantly. So like who you are when you're three people is different from when you're like 10 people from when you're, you know, the next, It it it's almost exponential. It feels really different. The processes feel different. The um, way you work with people and communicate is so different. And I think just acknowledging that and taking the time, like for us, we do um, what we call retreats two times a year. And it's with the intention of just pulling everybody out of their day to day, sitting down and being like, okay, does everybody know what their job is on a very basic level? Does everybody know what their job is and how we're supposed to work together? And what is the process? What's broken? And we do these little exercises like we do one called start stop continue and we're just like okay let's just take a subject matter and let's do start stop continue and what are the things that are broken in it because it keeps happening um so just knowing that that is normal and being i think addressing it is important yeah is this worrying i think for us it's just been like the learning curve of mental health and like really having to come at what we're trying to do at like an accessible level. You know, I feel like it, it's like I was saying earlier, people think of mental health as this really big hurdle and like being able to, I mean, for lack of a better term, like dumb it down so that it is like so clear and like something that can be universal to relate to everyone. So like that's why we choose to like really lead with optimism and positivity because I think that's something that everyone can understand and wants to sort of like strive for to sort of like cast the widest net possible while maintaining like the integrity of who you are and what you want to do. As far as marketing tools go, I think they're, I mean, social media is free. So that's huge. Um, I think the other part of it is I really believe that you have to start with great products. So invest in making great products. And then after that, we actually, we do quite a bit of gifting um, because there are stories that I can tell, but then there's also the stories that I want other people to be able to tell. There is nothing quite like a before and after when for a beauty company, right? So for instance, what we'll do is we'll, we have an, a product called our SOS spray, which is really great for any type of, it's an antibacterial, anti-inflammatory spray. We've gifted it pretty widely. And then what we'll do is we'll pay attention. Somebody will talk about how it works so well for their skin. And then we'll ask them if they have a before and after that they want to share with us. All of the before and afters, if you look at our site or Sephora's site, are all from the community. We have never done a third party 
you know, study or anything, because first of all, they're really expensive. And two, I actually just love the fact that these are true testimonies. So I think there is something as much as we're saying social media can be a terrible place. It's also a wonderful place where if you're just really in touch with your community and you're listening, you can get better at what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally ditto to both. We, uh, you have to start with a good product, but then once that happens, I think just riding on social media and letting your own people tell their stories and show we are, we also really live on those um, before and afters because our product works and it's dirty and then it's clean, you know, whatever you're dealing with. And then I think what Mason said too is, you know, we are all about tossing the toxins. Well, that can be kind of a negative connotation. So we really want people to understand that this is an opportunity uh, that feeling bad is actually not feeling free. You can make choices to use any product or eat any food or live in any way. But when your health is at stake, that's not freedom, right? And so true freedom does have certain boundaries there. And so to see um, the information that we're giving as an opportunity to actually walk into greater health. Yeah. First of all, congratulations success. Here's the story. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, when there's forced to choose employees, if you have a years of boxes, how many men was the first authority like there's a whole? Yeah, I think for us, uh, I have two partners, uh, two of us more creative and then one more sort of business minded is that sort of being like the founding team. And then I think we just recently in the last year, like hired our first, uh, C-suite, I was like a CFO, uh, which was like really huge of like someone who's, you know, scaled the company from a five, $10 million business to a hundred plus million dollar business. I think really having someone who's done it before, um, I think like less is more in that way, always of like the smaller circle is better. And then I think on the apparel side, you know, having, uh, professionals on the, on the merchandising side, on the production side, right? Like if you sort of think of a small council, right? Like checking all the boxes of like the big pieces of, of our business. Like, so for us, it's like, manufacturing, designing, merchandising, finance, and like, that's it. I think like the tighter that it can be is always the better. I think one thing to be really mindful of is um, like how many voices you let into the room and which voices you let into the room and for what purpose. Like we all are able to speak from our own perspectives only, right? So I really like to keep people around me who I on a, I don't have a, I do have a board of directors, but not really. <laughs> we don't meet as a board or do any of that type of thing. Um, but I have a few different people I pull on for advice. And I think everybody should have that. And it should be, and you should know what things you're asking them for. Like, so for instance, my, my brother is an architect and he's actually an amazing architect and in theory is really great at design. And very early on, he was like, I hate your logo. And I thought, oh, God, like he actually like he's been in Dwell Magazine. He should know. And then I thought about it and I was like, but he's not my customer at all. Right. And so had I listened to him, I think that could have really steered me a different direction. But I think just it's important to have people around, but make sure you think about where their perspective comes from. I think your logo is dope, baby. Thank you. <laughs> I'll let him know. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's there's five equal partners with Branch Basics at this point. And so when we wow. shut down our company, we actually, um, the three, my aunt, my best friend and myself, it's always been the three of us. And then we brought on two equal partners. We basically decided, look, if we're going to get this back going, we now each have newborn babies. Uh, we're not even sure if this is going to continue to work. Will anyone still be loyal to us? 
So we brought on a CFO again that had scaled pretty much in the same way that uh, Mason's speaking about uh, with who he brought on, which I think is so important that the person that's on the numbers has experience and then uh, a CEO. So we are no longer dealing with all of those business. I mean, we, like I said, had no business and background at all, no background in business at all. And we were doing the accounting. We were figuring out trigger spray issues in China. I mean, it just, it was, you've got to know what you're good at and you've got to be able to give away what you're not. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we might've even taken that a little too far, <laughs> but we really stick to what we're good at. And that's for me, it's PR being more the face of the company, traveling, meeting, you know, affiliates and influencers and telling my story and doing things like this. The company was not growing when we were on the business side. So, Yeah. I think we have time for one more quick question. Yep. Yep. Hi. Hi, Rayhan Mahmood. I have worked in uh, DOD and government for like 10 to 12 years, just pivoted to care tech. In your observation, um, either at the periphery or, you know, just through your network, do you feel that there's still certain industries or markets that can't be as transparent, can't be as vocal about their challenges, even at a startup? Because I have that problem with some of my you know, constituents and, and other other people I network with. Why why do you feel like you're unable to be uh, transparent in that way? I think it's maybe the demographics we're in. Um, that's one. I mean, I, I, I try to challenge that as much as I can, but um, unless I start pivoting to something else, it's, it's I think it's uh, pretty clear that I'm not around my, my tribe. So I'm trying to slowly transform that, but that's going to be a journey. So I was just thinking, is there still markets and industries you feel like maybe haven't done that, haven't been as transparent about their organizations and haven't cracked that code? Can you say more about your demographics? Yeah. So, I mean, like defense, I mean, IT and some of these, these, these brands are not really, you know, I would say culture specific. Um, I was at an event yesterday at, at South by, and I, I mean, I tried my best with, with, uh, being authentic, but you know, these guys are big deals and government contracts and stuff. You can't really be talking about, you know, about pain <laughs> points of it being a startup, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's a really interesting question. I feel like it kind of goes back to what I was saying of like accepting what's like out of your control. You know, I think for me, if I was like in a space where I was trying to be myself or, or break through in a way that didn't seem possible, um, I would really have to weigh like, you know, what is this sort of giving me and like, where is it worth, uh, like my personal health and like those boundaries that I need to set. And like, you know, I, I do believe that like all industries will come around and that like this whole, like, you know, mental health thing is, is really just the tip of the iceberg for like how it's going to take over the world. And like people will sort of realize the same way that we're now, you know, we realized cigarettes were bad and we stopped smoking. Then we realized our whole country's obese. So now let's try and eat a little bit healthier. You know, I think that mental health is really the next frontier. Um, so I would say to stay optimistic, but I think it's just a, such a personal thing to weigh, like, how far can I go before I just have to, like, you know, find my tribe? And, like, you know, I think it's about weighing, like, obviously it depends so much on your circumstance in life, but financial and, and all these sorts of things of, like, what can I afford to, to do um, before it's just, like, not worth it anymore. All right. Thank you guys for the lovely questions. Thank you, thank everyone. You Thanks, Selma. Thank you all so much.